Hi, I'm Pastor Tony Denbach, lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, and we're so glad that you have joined with us today. Today, we are continuing in our series based on the Gospel of Luke, as he records for us the life of Jesus. In the first three chapters of this book, we've looked at the birth stories of Jesus and of John the Baptist, that famous preacher in the wilderness who called on the people to make their hearts ready for the coming kingdom of God. Now, throughout these chapters, we've also read about the supernatural activity of God's Holy Spirit. He is mentioned often. The Spirit in Luke leads, fills, and empowers for the work of the ministry. Such characters as Zechariah in Luke 1.15 and his wife Elizabeth, Simeon, and John experience the Spirit and proclaim truth through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself is filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 3. Now, last week, we saw how it was the Holy Spirit who then led Jesus into the wilderness for a time of fasting and testing. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. You can't see him. So how do we know that he's real and not some figment of our imagination? Jesus talked about this in the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 8. He said, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What he's saying is that like you can't see the wind, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the effects of the wind. If you drive up by Shelburne, you'll find those giant wind turbines. They put them up there on the highlands because that's where they'll get the most wind. You know the wind is blowing because you'll see those turbines spinning, generating power. You don't see the wind, but you see its effect. In Luke and later in Acts, we see that God sent the Holy Spirit to enable people to do things that they normally could not do. So this brings us to our scripture for today. And I'm going to read from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. It says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, in these verses, we see the opening scene in the ministry of Jesus. It is Jesus' manifesto for the work ahead. He has already been getting a reputation. People in the whole area were talking about him. He was an incredible teacher, and he'd already performed miracles in other towns. But now he came home to the village where he was raised. So when he comes back home, it's quite a big day in the synagogue. Everybody is there, eager to hear this local boy who is making a name for himself. So what happens? When it is the Sabbath, 
Jesus does what he usually does. He goes to the synagogue. And when he is there, he stands up to read, which is the normal practice for reading scripture in the synagogue. And he is handed the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. He opens it and he chooses the place he wants to read from. And here we see the customs and habits of Jesus. He is one who regularly participates in the religious life of his community. He is a reader who contributes to the reading of scripture in worship. And he is a teacher. And we see this in Luke 4.15. Now Jesus enters the synagogue on that Sabbath day. Joseph and Mary had prepared him well for life. They raised him faithfully in their ancestral religion. He regularly attended Sabbath school and youth group. They brought him to the synagogue every week as a baby, a child, and as a teenager. It wasn't always easy, especially when he was younger. And so Joseph and Mary are examples for all of the parents now who bring their babies to worship, who make sure their children get to children's church, who see that their sons and their daughters belong to a youth group. It's not easy, but these parents know that the child who participates regularly in the community of God's people is likely to have a strong faith in adulthood and a firm foundation during the crises of life. My brothers and sisters and I cut our teeth on the church pew that we sat in each Sunday morning. We acted up sometimes and got in trouble sometimes, mostly my siblings, not me so much. But we learned what it meant to be a part of a church community and to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. So here is Jesus returning home. And what does he choose to say? Does he read from the Psalms, a, a song of comfort? Does he use Psalm 23? No, he is handed Isaiah and he knows exactly where he wants to go. He takes his time as he opens the scroll and finds the verses that he's looking for. It was from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And it was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. It was also written during a horrible time in the history of the nation of Israel. Because the people had turned away from the one true God, bad things were happening. Different rulers from neighboring kingdoms invaded Israel, one after the other. Many people were carried off into captivity. The ones who were left behind were living in poverty. Their crops were often destroyed, the walls broken down, the city that they loved plundered. It wasn't a very hopeful time at all. But Isaiah wrote that it wouldn't always be this way. Messiah, the promised one, would come and things would change. Isaiah then spoke in the voice of Messiah and said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. Good news, freedom, renewed vision, deliverance, God's favor. As Charles Colson wrote in his book, Kingdoms in Conflict, while human politics is based on the premise that society must be changed in order to change people, in the politics of the kingdom, it is people who must be changed in order to change society. You see, the people were looking around for the armies and for the political structure, for the palace and the throne. But Jesus said in Luke 17, 2021, 
The kingdom of God does not come visibly, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, when the scriptures speak of the kingdom of God, they speak of the rule of God in the lives of those who have come into the kingdom. A kingdom speaks of sovereignty. It speaks of a foundation of power. It speaks of God's rule in our lives. Yet it is a new model of power. See, Jesus doesn't demand his way into our lives. He stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't lead us in chains. He points to the road and then asks us to follow him. He doesn't try to lead us by politics. He tells us the truth, even if it hurts, and he deals with the real issues in our lives. These verses deal with real change that affects real people, but it begins with the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus, God in the flesh, had to rely on the Holy Spirit. And if he did, so do we. Now, what does he say that will happen because of the Holy Spirit on his life? Good news will be preached to the poor. It is the poor who need good news. It is the poor who often bear the brunt of the storms of life that others find easier to endure. They have no margin to protect them from market downturns. They have no cushion in the bank. Often they're living paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth. But Jesus came to give good news to the poor. God has a place for them around his table. They are not outsiders or unworthy of him. And then he says, freedom will be proclaimed for prisoners. Now, there are all kinds of prisoners in this world. Some are literally behind bars, but others are in prisons of a different kind. Some have put limiting bars all around them because they have believed the lies spoken to them or about them. Some are in chains of bitterness or unforgiveness. Jesus declares that we can be free no matter where we are. One of the favorite videos that I've seen recently was of a group of prisoners in a maximum security prison in the United States. They were likely there for the rest of their lives, yet they were joyfully singing praise choruses in the prison chapel. Even in prison, they had found spiritual freedom. Then Jesus adds, recovery of sight will be proclaimed for the blind. Jesus physically healed people who were born blind. But he also opened the eyes of the spiritually blind. As Isaiah declared, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. See, Jesus came so that we could understand the truth about the world in which we live. Then he adds that the oppressed will be released. So what does it mean to be oppressed? In the Greek, it gives the picture of something that is under intense pressure and is being crushed. Have you ever felt that way? Has life ever felt overwhelming to you, like you can't breathe, like someone is sitting on your chest? Jesus has come to lift that weight off of you, to release you from that weight and that burden. Now, finally, he says, the year of the Lord's favor will be proclaimed. Freedom. See, the Old Testament concept Jesus was talking about here was something called the year of Jubilee. It was the year that everything was made right. If you had made such a mess of your life that you had to sell your ancestral land to pay off your debt, in the year of Jubilee, it would be returned to you. If you had made so many mistakes that you even had to sell yourself into slavery, when this year arrived, the debts were canceled and you were free. 
This was the picture that Jesus was painting. The year of Jubilee, we're free. As Max Lucado writes, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of life, God answers the mess of life with one word, grace. This was the launch of a kingdom, the kingdom of God, but it was so different from what most people expected. See, they envisioned armies and horses and weapons and power and thrones because that was what they had seen. But Jesus begins his kingdom by declaring that he's here to serve the least among them, the hurting, the suffering, the disadvantaged, the victims. After he read those verses from Isaiah, we read that Jesus sat down and declared, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The little boy who was raised in Nazareth was all grown up and was now telling his friends and neighbors that he was the one that Isaiah had talked about so long ago. Things were about to change. Near the end of his life, Jesus stood before one of those earthly kings the people were familiar with, a man named Pilate. And as he stood there facing the death sentence, the king expected Jesus to beg for his life like everybody else did. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. The truth was that Pilate stood before God in the flesh and didn't know what to do with him. He tried to release him, but the people wouldn't let him. He tried to get Jesus to defend himself, but he wouldn't. And finally, torn between the voice of God and the voices of the people, Pilate had Jesus crucified. Now, this story repeats itself all the time. Each of us have those times in our lives when we clearly hear and know the voice of God. Yet because we live in this world, we also hear the clamor for attention from all other voices. We are repeatedly asked to compromise, to do what we know is wrong because everyone else is doing it. And too often we choose the path of Pilate, the path of least resistance. And as we do, Jesus models his kingdom principles by marching up the hill to Golgotha to give his life for our sins. All of his ministry, Jesus taught us about what it meant to be a part of the kingdom. His subjects are to always be on the side of truth. Jesus taught that it's not just what you do, it's who you are, because the heart matters. He told us that we are not just to give lip service to God, we're to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. He said that if we did that, we would also love our neighbor as ourselves. He modeled compassion to the outcast, whether they are lepers, sinners, or just the rejected. He reached out to all people, loving them as they were, and yet refusing to leave them that way. He taught us that it is better to give than to receive, that humility is the road to greatness, that pride will end in destruction, and that what you spend your money on tells you where your heart is. He talked about and modeled a real faith in God. He taught us how to pray, that we ought to submit our will to the will of our Heavenly Father, because He loves us and He knows what we need. Now, in response to Jesus' teaching, men and women over the centuries have changed entire cultures. All that is good 
in Western culture can be traced back to the teachings of Christ. Whether it be the understanding that all men are created equal or the belief that charity is a good thing, it was Christians motivated by the love of God and the Word of God who fought a lifelong battle to abolish slavery. It was the influence of Christians that finally ended child labor in Western civilization. Now, on and on we could go. Yet some of the greatest evils have been perpetrated by those who give mere lip service to the kingdom of God. As Sheldon Van Aken says, the best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug in complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. In which category are you today? Many of you listening today may call yourselves Christians, and as such, citizens of the kingdom of God. As Colossians 1.13 tells us, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, what will you do with that privilege? This is always the question that we should arrive at when we hear the word of God. What difference does it make to me? See, Jesus raised up disciples to follow in his footsteps. And those disciples raised up disciples to follow them as they followed Christ. And on and on it goes until finally, here we are. It's passed down to us. We inherit this legacy, this call of God to impact the world for good, to love the unlovable, to embrace the untouchable, to comfort those who mourn, to feed the hungry, bind up the broken, to shine a light in the darkness. That is the call. And the question today is, will we respond? Now, I want to leave you to wrestle with that question today. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you today for your inspired word. I pray that you would help each of us to apply it to our hearts and to understand how much you love us. May those who do not know you realize the depth of your love for them and open their hearts to you. And may those who do know you live their lives in such a way that it reflects your love in this world and to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go from this place with the confidence that God has come to us. He has sought us, he has found us, and he has redeemed us. Be inspired by his grace, humbled by his love, and empowered by his spirit. Let him live in you and through you. May you be his hands and his feet in a world in need. God bless you. Thanks for listening.